Okay, y'all stand to your feet this morning. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, I'll show a picture of it, but the city of Myrtle Beach awarded us uh, the best church of the year two years in a row, 2021-22, and um, it's such an honor. It's so interesting because um, no church in the history of Myrtle Beach has ever gotten uh, that award three years in a row. Um, well, I guess that is until... And we actually made the Hall of Fame in Myrtle Beach. They call it the Hall of Fame because um, it's, it's rare that any business or anything does three years in a row. And um, I cannot believe that they gave it to us again. Uh, I was studying everything they do. They, they, they poll people all around Myrtle Beach. They send people out. They call. They look on uh, social media. They look on websites. They Google how many uh, views. They look at reviews, all that stuff. And uh, the city of Myrtle Beach, uh, for the third year in a row, uh, told us we're the we're the we're the best church in Myrtle Beach. So, um, and so I, I do want to thank uh, Trisha Ross, who runs the entire church. You know, I don't do nothing but show up and look good. Um, uh, pastors Matt and Melissa, they run now camp there in here somewhere. Uh, Derek Price, who does Faith First Academy. All of our preachers and teachers and uh, music team and all of the volunteers, the ushers, the hospitality, all during the week. It's an amazing what God can do um, using very broken and messed up people like us, right? And it's so funny to me because 25 years ago, I was standing before judges in Myrtle Beach begging forgiveness. <laughs> and when I got saved, uh, half of the Myrtle Beach Police Department finally went on vacation. They were so excited. <laughs> They're finally able to take off work, so um, it's a huge, I cannot believe, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of churches all in Myrtle Beach, everywhere you look, so it's a huge honor, and we're very, very excited for that, so that's because of y'all, God, it's so good. I'm a little bit competitive, now we got to win every year after this, we got we have to step it up a little bit. First Thessalonians 2.4, God has approved and accepted me. Jeremiah 29 11, God has a great plan for my life. Joshua 24 15 is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isaiah 43 19, God can make a way where there is no way. Luke 4 18, the Lord has anointed me. I am anointed. God has a great plan for my life, and I will fulfill my destiny. Before you sit down, fist bump somebody and say, I love Solid Rock. Love it, love it. You can be seated. Everybody needs a sermon handout. I hope you got a sermon handout and a pen so you can take notes. If you're unable to figure out how to mute your cell phone, you probably shouldn't even drive home today. Just ask somebody that's under 30 years old. They'll teach you how to mute your cell phone. I know it's difficult. Cell phones are so difficult. I wish they would just call and text. That's all they need to do, but they do so much other things. Um, we're in a series called Christians with Addictions, and it comes from Psalm 51, and, the, and every sermon in the series starts letter R, and you can see the sermons up there. There they are. And um, last Sunday we talked about rebuke, and I received a lot of um, uh, really great feedback on people that had no idea 
uh, what really goes on in the spirit realm and how to deal with enemy attacks in your life. And so I want to talk just a little bit more about it today, not too much, but I'm going to veer into that just a little bit more. And uh, today in part seven for your notes, we're going to talk about resist. Resist. Uh, when it comes to addictions and areas in our life that we want to grow in, um, we have a free will. So God does not force us to open up the Bible and read it. He does not force us to say no to drugs. He does not force us to um, put ourselves in the right place and leave there. He doesn't force us, but he will empower us to do everything that he's called us to do if we'll submit our will to him. Submitting your will to the Holy Spirit is basically having the attitude on the inside of, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, but God... Whatever you want from me, if I have to lay down on the ground and cry for 12 hours, I'll do it. If I need to open up my Bible and read it for, you know, three hours, I'll do it. If I need to be in Sunday school, whatever, just I don't know what to do, but I'm submitting my will to you. When we do that, God empowers us to do all the things that he's asking us to do. Now, James 4, 6, and 7 is the most um, popular scripture in the Bible concerning the word resist. It says, God opposes the what? And it says, but he gives grace to the who? Okay, so submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, do we agree that the word of God is true, yes or no? Yes. So if the enemy is not fleeing from you, either you are not submitting your will to God or you're not resisting the devil, one or the other or both. Can we agree with that? Because it says if you do it, then he'll flee from you. So if, it's not, if you still feel like you're under attack, hey, it's okay, it's okay. You either need to submit to God or you need to resist the devil. Now, it says he opposes the proud. And before I get into my three points, I want to give you an illustration. I've done it before. But, you know, we watch the Super Bowl, and the goal of football is to gain yardage, right? But the Bible teaches us if we have a spirit of pride on the inside, pride is, you know, my way's best. I don't need to hear from anybody else. My perspective is the only one that matters. Uh, don't correct me. Don't instruct me. I'm not submitting to authority. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It's my way or the highway. That attitude, you would think that God says, okay, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and just see how far you get in life with that spirit in you. He doesn't do that. God actually goes on the opposite side of us, and he opposes us like a football player, and, and you think, well, I'm not going to gain any yardage. Hey, it's worse than that. When you have a spirit of pride, he actually keeps pushing you back. And, and you're missing out on things that involve your God-given destiny because of that spirit. So uh, I have three points for you today. They all start with the letter R, just because I like to play with you like that. And today in part one, it's, uh, uh, point one is this, remove pride. Remove pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride always, you want to go up when you're prideful, but it always puts you back down. Now, we've been talking about the seven churches of Revelation, right? Everybody remembers this so clearly, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you love it, don't you? And so John's on the island of Patmos, and Jesus appears, and he says, I want you to write a letter to the seven churches. Today, we're going to talk about the church in Pergamum. Uh, in Revelation 2, 12 through 15, it says this, To the church in Pergamum, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, uh, which is Jesus, and I'll tell you about that next week. I know where you dwell. And he's talking to a church, a church. You dwell in a place where Satan sits enthroned. And we're going to talk about that in point number one. Point number two, we're going to talk about the rest of it. Some of you are holding to the teaching of Balaam who enticed Israel to commit sexual morality. You also have some who are holding the teaching of Nicolaitans, therefore change the way you think. Okay, so Jesus tells the church in Pergamum, you are sitting where Satan is enthroned. You, you are where Satan sits. Um, a lot of people thought at first that Jesus was referring to the fact that the largest statue of Zeus was in Pergamum. 
and it's idolatry, so they thought that's what he meant. That's not what he meant. Other people thought Jesus was talking about the fact that when the Roman emperor gave the edict that he was God, the first city to erect a statue of the Roman emperor was uh, Pergamum. So they thought that's what Jesus was talking about. That's not what he was talking about. Other people thought the fact that there was a big statue of um, the god of medicine in, in Greek mythology, and the god of medicine is called Asclepius. And um, I'm sure you've seen it before, either standing or sitting, but always holding a pole with a serpent wrapped around it, referring to the god of medicine. You've seen that, I'm sure. There's one in Surfside near a pharmacy there. You know, the sur- now, um, as a side note, just a little bit of church history, uh, Greek mythology, they thought they came up with that, but they actually stole it from the Bible about a 1,000 years before. In Numbers 21.8, Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole because the Israelites were all being attacked by poisonous snakes. And God said, Moses, whoever looks at that serpent on the pole will be healed and they won't die from the poisonous snakes. And it's a foreshadowing of Jesus representing our Savior is going to hang on a cross and take on everything that's killing us. Amen. He's going to take on all the sickness and disease that is killing our bodies. And that was a foreshadowing of Jesus. But that's not what he meant when he said that you are dwelling where Satan sits enthroned. So you have to remember when you read the Bible, the same person wrote the whole book. Even though different men penned it, it's the same author. So in Revelation, if Jesus is saying, hey, you are in a place where Satan sits on a throne, you have to simply look at where God described what Satan's throne looks like. He described it in Isaiah, and as I read it, I want you to keep thinking in your mind. I want you to notice how pride wants to go up, but God says, I'm going to put you down. In theology, they call this the five I wills of Satan, meaning I want or I desire. If you ever want to know what's in Satan's heart so that you don't mimic that, here's what it is. Isaiah 14, um, 12 through 15. You, oh, how you have fallen from heaven O star of morning. Remember, a fallen star is a, um, is a fallen angel in the Bible. Don't forget that. You have been cut down. You are in hell because you said in your, what's that word? I always want to remind us that God is a God of hearts. So when you judge people by what they're doing on the outside, just know that you are in just as much sin, if not worse, because you're judging them in your heart. Um, I think we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven and we realize how much grace and mercy was poured out on us, not for what we did on the outside, but for everything we thought and the motives of our heart on the inside. So Lucifer, the worship leader in heaven, uh, one of the three archangels, he didn't even say it out loud. He said it in his heart. God saw in his heart he was saying this. Right Here's the five I wills. I will, now watch the words. He always wants to go up. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne. We're talking about Lucifer's throne. Above the stars or above all the other angels. I will sit enthroned on the mount, which is the tallest part, the highest portion of any mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself, now this blows my mind, like the most Out of all the attributes Satan could say, I want. He didn't say, I want to be like the most merciful or the most loving. He said, I want to get all the pot I can and be like the most high. I'm just kidding. Like the most high. Okay, here's what God said to him. Watch this. But you shall be brought down to Sheol or to hell to the lowest depths of the pit. Um, Before we got saved, the most important person in the world was ourself. Before we got saved, the thing that we, we, if it was anyone's dreams we wanted to come true, it was our own. Before we got saved, it was all about me. Here's one way you can tell if you're saved or not. After you give your life to Christ, he then, and of course we all struggle, but he then becomes the most important person in the world. 
Amen. And his desires and his kingdom is more important to us than building our own kingdom, right? Okay, so Satan wants to always be put up. He always wants to be seen. He wants to be heard. It's interesting if you study the Bible, Jesus in the Gospels, he's always pointing not to himself. He's always pointing to God, right? They compliment him. I only say what my father says. I only do what my, my father's one that's in here. If you read the Bible, the father's always pointing to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always pointing back to Jesus. I can picture them in a room together. You're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Just on, you know, on and on. Okay. So, why does pride always want to be lifted higher than others? Why does pride always want their opinion to be the most important? Why does pride always want to put itself up? Here's why. Because prideful people always see themselves below others. They see themselves as less than. The root of pride, and you can write it somewhere in your notes, the root of pride is insecurity. The reason they got to put pictures of themselves all over social media because they want to feel good about themselves, the reason they do that is because they actually feel less than everybody else. So they want to put themselves on a the stage. They want their opinion to be the most important. They want what they think to be seen and heard because they actually see everyone else above them. So they're trying to, to change it up, trying to change up. Um, the answer to pride and insecurity is to be secure in God's love. In other words, every time we read the Bible, every time we worship, every time we pray, we need to constantly have this reminder that God loves me no matter what. In other words, if you're a size 6 or if you're a size 16, he loves you the same. The creator of the universe, no one's ever going to do what he did to get you. He values you. He loves you. Whether you have a million dollars in the bank or a dollar in the bank, he loves you. Uh, whether you had a really great day today or a horrible today, he loves you. And when you grow in security in God's love, it doesn't matter what the world thinks, and you don't have to always try to put yourself above other people. Are you with me? Uh, I can keep going. You understand what I'm saying? Now, uh, we talk about equality in our world, and I'm all for equality. I'm all for gender equality, racial equality, but that's not in the Bible. In fact, I know it sound, it's, very, it's almost arrogant of me. I'm white. I'm a man, I'm straight, and I'm an American. So it's easy for me to say, hey, you know, equality. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it feels like to not have. I don't know what it feels like. Yeah, I understand that. But I want you to show you what the Bible says about equality, okay? It actually says in uh, Philippians 2.13, 2.3, in humility, you're actually supposed to value others above yourself. Amen. See, we try to spend our life putting ourselves above others. Our goal is actually to take them and get below them and push them up. In fact, Jesus, verse 5 through 8, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he took the humble position in obedience to God. The most powerful man in the universe became the greatest servant in the entire world and put everyone else, made them more important than him, washed their feet. Um, it's amazing to me how quick pride can enter into somebody's heart. I mean, we can have a good day. We're all humble. Thank you, Jesus. I need you. I can't do anything without you. And then something happened, and we just feel so good about ourselves. This past week, I got an email, a very, very extensive email from a church in Virginia um, offering me a job. And it said it was a very long email, talking about how much they've seen our ministry. They love it. And they offered me $110,000 a year just to be the lead pastor which is almost twice as what I make. And a lead pastor is someone who they don't have to worry about problems, they don't have to deal with people. All they have to do is show up and teach and preach. They're on staff just to teach and preach. That's all they have to do. A hundred. Do you know how good I felt when I read that email? And I realized every gift I have comes from God, but I started thinking, maybe a little bit of it's me. <laughs> maybe, 
Maybe it was my good looks, you know, maybe, maybe what, what was it? A hundred and ten, and I read the email, and oh, we followed your ministry, and you're such a great pastor, and all these kind of things, and of course, I'll never leave Solid Rock ever, I'm called to be here the rest of my life, my kids, my grandkids, I'm never leaving here, but it sure did feel good, and before I went to bed, I read it again, and I'm not going to lie to you, I stood in front of the mirror, and I took my shirt off and flexed a little bit. And I said, you're worth $110,000. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. The next morning, as soon as I woke up, I read it again. And I started thinking, well, Virginia's a nice place. You know? <laughs> that night before I went to bed, I read it again. The next morning, I was going to respond, you know, I, I thank you so much, but I love where I'm at. And as I read it again, I saw at the very bottom, it said, P.S. We realize you were planning on retiring from the Lutheran Church next year, but we'd still like for you to consider our offer. That's when I realized it was sent to the wrong pastor. <laughs> Some stupid pastor in Florida was supposed to get that email. Loser. <laughs> but for those two days, I was the man. <laughs> I said, you know what? I don't want the job. Thank you anyway. You know? Okay, point number two is this. Run from temptation. Run from temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from temptations that capture young people. It's interesting. It tells us to notice how young people fall. Because here's the thing. Old people fall in the same areas. And I want to put a list on the screen. I'm going to come back to this list in a second. But there's a reason I'm doing this. Uh, are these things that young people may be tempted to do, gossip, lie, disrespect authority, backstab friends, dishonor parents, pornography, lust, wrong relationship, are those things that young people battle, yes or no? Are those things that old people battle, yes or no? Of course it is. And it says you're not strong enough to stand there and not give in. You have to run from it. Run, run, run. So remember this. Now, Revelation 2, 14 through 16, back to the Pergamum church. Some of you, it says, have been holding the teaching of Balaam, who enticed, that's a Greek word we're going to look at in a second, Israel to commit sexual immorality. You also have some who are holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans, therefore change the way you think. So Balaam and Nicolaitans is the point, right? Balaam, Nicolaitans. So Balaam obviously was talking, uh, uh, was getting people to be immoral, specifically young people. And I'll prove it to you in the Bible. Numbers 25.1, in the council of Balaam, the Moabites prostituted their women. Numbers 31.16, they killed the boys and girls who followed Balaam's advice and enticed them to be unfaithful. So Balaam is responsible for young people being immoral. Do we see that? Okay, the Nicolaitans, they were founded by Nicholas, who's one of the deacons mentioned in Acts chapter 6. I think he's the seventh deacon mentioned in Acts chapter 6. Because before Nicholas got saved, he was a Gnostic. Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means knowledge. And it, there was a, it was a type of a religion actually back then called Gnosticism. And it was people who worshipped knowledge and information. Basically, they thought that whatever they could conjure up in their minds and getting together and talking things out, that whatever they thought was more important or better than what God thought. Um, they, they, they loved uh, science and technology. Um, it, it's the Greek word, it's similar to the Greek word um, omniscient, is what we say in English, omniscience, all knowledge. An attribute of God is he's omniscient. He has all knowledge. He actually created science, but these people, they thought they could twist science to make it fit what they wanted to do. Do you see that happening nowadays as well? Okay, so science and technology, they thought that trumps what God thinks. It, it was a prideful spirit, right? Are you understand? So Balaam, young people immoral, um, Nicolaitans, all about science and technology. 
Let's look back at some of the things young people battle, right? Gossip, lying, disrespecting, backstab, dishonor parents, pornography, lust, wrong relationships. What have we handed our children and we're telling them to run, run, but we hand them something that involves immorality with young people and science and technology? A cell phone. And we say, run. Hey, all these things that you're tempted to do, we're going to give you the tool to do it, but we want you to run. I am a huge advocate for protecting um, devices. Huge advocate. Here's why. I talk to men all the time who battle pornography, and every man I talk to, they all say it started when they were 13 years old because they had a stupid parent who left magazines sitting around, and we think that's horrible, right? But you hand your children a phone with billions and billions of pictures on it? Hey, run from this. Here you go. And here's what's even more sad is a lot of these men are in their 60s and 70s, which means this, 90% of their life they were in bondage because their parents didn't protect something. 90% of their life they're in bondage. Do you think that, that, do you understand how much that has affected their entire life? So whether you're a young person, whether you're old, whether you're married or single, find somebody to protect your device. And I, I told you how to do it. It's on your handout. But you go to, this is for an Apple, app, any Apple device. Settings, screen time, content privacy, content restrictions, web contents, limited adult websites. And there's another list there of things you limit. Movies you put on there, PG or PG-13. Music, all on. There's a thing. And then you fix it where you have to put in a four-digit passcode. What it does is it doesn't allow them, 99% of the things that they would normally see, they don't see. And it provides prevents them from clearing out their search history so that you can see what they've searched so you can have conversations with them. And I'm not just talking about your kids. I'm talking about yourself and your spouse and anyone that you love as well. Now, I know as soon as you leave church, all of y'all are going to clear your search history before you do it. So go ahead, clear it out by the time you get to your car and then hand someone your phone and ask them to protect it. And listen, you're thinking this, well, I, I, I don't need to do that. Okay, if you're not looking at anything bad, then you won't mind somebody doing it for you. Right? If you're not doing anything wrong, you wouldn't mind. I had a lady one time come to me after church, and I was teaching this because I'm a big advocate for it, and because uh, I see people fall all the time. And just as a side note, Solomon, who was the wisest man in the world, fell in this. Uh, David, who was the most righteous man in the Bible, fell into this. And Samson, which is the strongest man who ever lived, fell into this. That means that strong, wise, and uh, righteous men are the ones who fall in this area, just so you know. So you're not more righteous than David, you're not stronger than Samson, you're not wiser than Solomon, okay? Anyway, and I was talking to a lady after church, and she um, came to me and she said this, um, I trust my teenagers. I said, you're the dumbest woman that's ever walked in this building. <laughs> you trust, that's an oxymoron. Do you trust them with alcohol? Well, no. Do you trust them with a gun? No. But you trust them with this? You trust them with this. And I know the teenagers in the room are thinking, I can't believe we came to church today. I'm never coming back to this church ever again. Listen, we're trying to help your soul. Because the problem is, I know you're thinking, well, they'll find it somewhere. Well, easy access makes it a lot easier to fall. Um, I told this lady, I said, do you ever go to Krispy Kreme? She said, yeah, I like Krispy Kreme. I said, okay. What about when the hot sign's on? Oh, I like it when the hot sign's on. I said, okay. I said, how often do you go? She said, well, we live in Conway. So it's like a 15, 20-minute drive. So maybe once a month, once every two months. I said, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. If you lived right next to Krispy Kreme, how often would you get a donut then? She smiled and said, probably every morning on the way to work. I was about to say, gotcha, and then she said, and every night on the way home from work as well. I probably would. I said, okay, okay. So you see, easy access does it. I'm just, all I'm trying to do is, is, is to protect your, your future. 
That's all I'm trying to do. And, um, and, and, and if you think that you're, you, you know, you can trust me, then just turn over your phone and let them look at every text you've ever sent and every, see, it, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And it's not just young people. We all struggle, right? Okay, so James 1.14, each person is tempted when they are enticed. Everybody say enticed. We saw this word earlier. It's a Greek word, by their own evil desires. Now, all through the Bible in the New Testament Greek, um, the, 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 the language either comes from a sporting background or a military background. In this case, the word entice comes from a sporting background, and it refers to hunting or fishing with a lure. And, um, you know, when you think about it, this is the first time I've ever held something like this. I feel so masculine right now. Um, and uh, so you think Satan's got this hook, right? And he says, hey, hey, bite the hook, bite the hook. But we're not that stupid, are we? Like, he's not going to go to your kids and say, hey, murder somebody today. They're going to say, no, we're Christians. Snort cocaine. No. Get pregnant at 16. No, I don't want that because we see the hook. So what Satan does with all of us is he puts something really good looking on the end of the hook that we know we're going to want. And in this case, um, everybody does it. You see the kids doing it. All the cool people are doing it. It's a gummy worm. <laughs> Just a little bit of sugar. You know you want some sugar, right? Doesn't that look so good? Go grab a hold of that. Come on, Kim. I know you want it. Come on, Kim. Everybody's doing it. All the cool northerners are doing it. Oh, northerners love gummy worms, don't they? Okay, so we're not going to bite that. Hmm. Do you think whenever you say no to Satan, do you think that he stops? No, he doesn't stop. It's not enough just to resist. You have to submit your will to God, right? So he puts something even more enticing on there. Oh, this is for the southerners. There's $100 right there. <laughs> Southerners will do anything for 100 bucks, won't they? Doesn't that look so just flapping in the wind? Nobody will know. Just grab a hold of it, right? Okay, so you know, let me tell you what it's like in Myrtle Beach. I was thinking about this. And um, in public school, it's like this. In Myrtle Beach, it's like this. I mean, my goodness, it seems like everywhere you go, there's just something going on. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Trisha to help me with this, and I just noticed at first service, she hung Barbie by her neck. <laughs> Who does that? Do you know how difficult it was for Trisha to finish this whole pack of cigarettes before she finally hung it on there? Oh, look at this. <laughs> I actually ate this. <laughs> and you all know what this is, don't you? <laughs> this is a baggie right there. That's like a 20-ounce, isn't it? Yeah, I got that from my buddies down at the... At Publix, because it's oregano is what it is, but there's a lot of, you can roll up some oregano. Um, isn't that what it's like in Myrtle Beach everywhere you look? You know what we do? We basically hand our children and ourselves a tool with probably over a thousand different areas we're tempted in, and we think, hey, just run. Just run. That's not how it works. And you know, the scripture said earlier about how Balaam enticed people to, to prostitute themselves. Do you think it's wrong to sell your sexuality? Is that wrong? I mean, is prostitution wrong? Even as immoral as our country is, the whole country agrees it's wrong to sell your sexuality, right? Well, then why do you give it away for free? Isn't that worse? If it's wrong, you know, I was going to look up how much a prostitute was, but I thought, I don't want that on my, on my search history. But, um, <laughs> but I don't know, 20 bucks, $100, I don't know, okay? I don't know. I ain't be knowing. But um, if it's wrong to sell it for 50 bucks... Why would you give it away to someone who's not even going to call you back the next day? 
Some of you sell it for dinner and a movie. Wouldn't that be a lot worse than that? You need, you need to value yourself so much that the person who's willing to do anything in the world for you, that, that's what you're worth, right? Okay, point number three is this. Rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13, Let he who thinks he can stand a temptation, which is pride, take heed lest he fall into sin. And this is one of the greatest three words of the entire Bible. God is faithful. Amen. Even when we're not. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Amen. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your power to resist, and he will always provide the way out. So my dear friends, run or flee from idolatry. You know, my goal in this series is probably not what you think it is. You might think the goal is to be delivered from an addiction. That's not the goal at all. Whether you get healed from the addiction or not, that's not my goal at all. In fact, in every sermon series, my goal is never for you to do whatever the topic's about. That's never the goal in any sermon series. The goal in every sermon is simply for this, for you to learn how to rely on Jesus every single day and be more passionate about the Word of God. Amen. That's all it is. Because listen, let's say you get delivered from the addiction you're battling today. You do realize there's another one in your life you're going to battle the next day. Netflix, Briar's ice cream, right? Something in there. Oh, so you're going to spend your whole life, oh, i got to get better, i got to get better. Forget it. That's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is about having a relationship and just relying on Jesus. Maybe he heals you and breaks that addiction. Maybe you go to AA the rest of your life and help other people and tell your story. I don't know what it's going to look like. That's not the point. The point is rely on Jesus. That's the point. So I want to close with, close with a story um, that kind of sums up last week and today. In Mark 5, 1 through 15, it's about a demon-possessed man, and it says this, An unclothed man with an evil spirit who lived in the tombs came to meet Jesus. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and would cut himself. I always like to stop when I read this because over the past 15 or 20 years of ministry, I probably had about six to eight teenagers who come to me because they're cutting themselves. And the parents have no idea. And it's never a teenager you think it would be. It's never a family who you think it would be. It's always one you'd be shocked by. So listen, talk to your kids. Right, have conversations with them, even the tough conversations. Find out what's going on in their life, in their heart. Because um, cutting yourself or hurting your own body, it is a, um, it, that is a, a, a demonic attack. But here's the good news, is you can be free. Okay, you can be free. So it says this, when he saw Jesus, he ran and worshiped him. Jesus said to him, come out, you unclean spirit. Verse 7, he screamed, this is the demon, what do you want with me, Jesus? I beg you, do not torment me. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus not to send them out of the region. We're going to come back and talk about the, the highlighted words. Verse 11, there was a herd of pigs on the mountain. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. All power in heaven and on earth and under earth is in the power of Jesus Christ. So don't ever be scared. Or don't ever forget that. And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered about 2,000 cats. Verse 15, the people came. Oh, my bad. How was my fault. That was, uh, I thought that was the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, the people came to Jesus and saw the man who had the legion of demons was demon-possessed. If you watch The Chosen, it just everything comes to life, and this amazes me. This is so, sitting down, clothed in his right mind. I had to put this in there. And so they begged Jesus, 
to leave. You thought they would have asked him to do a seminar that weekend on how to be set free, right? You talk about pride and a Pharisee spirit. He sets the guy free. You need to get out of here and leave. That shocks me and blows my mind. Okay, so take me back to the main script. Okay, so a legion is a Roman word for uh, about 6,000 soldiers. Uh, some say it's 6,262. Some say it's between 3,000 and 6,000. The point is, it's a lot of soldiers. This man was filled with thousands and thousands, listen, of demons. Okay, don't forget that. Thousands and thousands of demons. Demons are disembodied spirits. They're looking for a body, even animals we see in the Scripture, um, mostly cats. Um, I remember this couple, years ago, this couple came to me, and they, they don't like that I say stuff about cats. And, and the wife said, um, I love my little cat, Lucy. She's just my, you know, my little. And the husband said, I don't like the stupid cat. I said, why? He said, because Lucy sprays all over the house and the horrible thing. And then as the wife walked away, he whispered, he said, Lucy is short for Lucifer. <laughs> okay. Region. Um, the book of Joel teaches us that demons are like an army of locusts. They have rankings, and Satan sends them to specific places. If you enjoy world history and world geography, I bet as a Christian you could study and discover what type of spirits are all around the world and where Satan sends them to. Um, if I'm just talking about America, and actually I had made a list of about two dozen I was going to read to you, but if you just talk about America alone, Atlanta... Uh, down below, Atlanta is filled with people who love to work 60, 80 hours a week and ignore family. It's just a spirit of overwork, overwork. Uh, Miami, of course, is filled with lust. Uh, Las Vegas is greed. New England, there's tons of witchcraft in New England down south. There's racism. I think the spirit of Myrtle Beach, uh, the, the demonic spirit of Myrtle Beach, is actually a spirit of a lack of integrity and cutting corners in the workplace. I think it's filled with people that just do a half job and you know want the money to leave and so if you study you can actually see what the, the demons that satan sends out to different regions and i think it's very wise before you ever move somewhere to really study that as well but anyway okay so here's what i want to teach you mark 5 6 said this when he saw jesus he ran and worshiped him jesus said come out you unclean spirit the word worship here is a greek word proskuneo which means to worship or submit to show submission so much so that you bow down and kiss his feet this man had over 6,000 demons. He was naked and he was cutting himself. Not a single one of you in this building are in his bondage as much as this guy was. I know because all y'all got your clothes on, you know, <laughs> except for the one weird guy at the back that keeps standing up. But anyway, <laughs> I can't believe that how many people just turned around. <laughs> Flee from temptation, people. Flee from it. Now we know whose phones we need to block when we get outside. <laughs> um, what am I talking about? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, we all have somebody we're praying for, right? Ourself, our spouse, a child, grandchild, a parent, somebody that we know has got it bad off. Nobody you know has it as bad off as this guy. And here's, what, here's the comfort I want to bring you. Not even 6,000 demons can stop someone from coming to Jesus and submitting their life to Him. You know, we often think when there's someone in our life who we love and they're struggling so bad, we think, well, if I could just do this or say this or get them this or if they'd read this book or whatever, really the best thing you can do is pray because at some point they're either going to submit their life to Jesus or they're not. And we like to try to manipulate people's free will to get them to come to God. You know, we're really good at that. But man, I don't care how much you do. Not even 6,000 demons... When somebody wants to come to Christ, 
I don't care if you've done it right, done it wrong, was a good evangelist, bad evangelist, I don't care what they're going through. If 6,000 demons cannot stop a man from coming to Jesus, listen, and being delivered, we got a pretty good life ahead of us, right? Relying on Jesus. Man, he can, he can heal anybody, anybody. Okay, that's my word for you today. That's it, that's it. Heads bowed, eyes closed.